Woke up quick at about noon. And we in here, loved ones. We made it to a Friday, man. Welcome to the August 7th edition of the podcast with Damian Barling here on the Be Heard podcast platform. We thank you so much for downloading, streaming, and listening. We thank you so much for your support here at the podcast. We thank you so much for your support of all of the podcasts here on the Be Heard platform. Man, can we get some more 1030 starts? Can we get some, by the way, I, these, these, this thing with me waking up in the middle of the night has just gotten out of control. I told you yesterday that I had woken up at 2 a.m. and really strongly considered just walking into the studio, a.k.a. the office, a.k.a. the front room of my house, and just recording the show at 2 a.m. I tried to settle down, took some notes, and think I fell asleep for a little bit. Now it was the same thing happened today. It was like, forget it. Let's go record the show. It's a happy show today. It's Friday. I don't really know what Friday is like in the 2020 realm, particularly the post-March version of 2020. I don't, I don't, I don't really know what, what, what Friday means. But I know it's a Friday on the day of a Kings game. And I know it's uh, the Friday, the day after a Sacramento Kings win. I don't know what it was about yesterday's game. I, there was this line Luke Walton cracked me up. I'll, I'll play like uh, some of what Luke Walton said in the press conference yesterday. There was a line that he said that absolutely cracked me up. Like, it's not like this game came out of nowhere and we just started playing well. It's like, nah. Nah, fam, that's kind of exactly what it is. Like, y'all were just... 49 points, 49 points in the first quarter. That's the most in the Sacramento era. Like, they were unstoppable. Of course, they gave up 39, which, you know, as excited as Kings fans were in the first quarter, there was still that moment of, man, we just scored 49 points. Bogdan Bogdanovich is absolutely on fire. De'Aaron is playing well. Man, this game has got all the good feels about it. And then it was like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, 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 we gave up 39 Okay, that's a problem. That's a lot of freaking points in one quarter. 49 to 39 at the end of at the end of one. Just absolutely spectacular. Uh, of course, the pace settled down quite a bit. The Kings did get another 40-point quarter in there uh, in the third, but just an absolutely spectacular game by the Sacramento Kings. There's a lot to take away from this. Uh, but the Kings get the win, 140 to 125. So that's the good news. And that good news came nice and early on Thursday morning. Now some bad news encompassed this. The Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns uh, continue to win ball games, And, and that's, that, that puts the Kings. It's like the Kings kind of got things going a little bit too late. Let, let's not get too ahead of ourselves, though. Pump your brakes. And I'm talking to myself, by the way. Just pump your brakes a little bit. I mentioned Luke Walton. I mentioned some things Luke Walton had to say. Here he is uh, in the post-game press conference. Yeah, they, the guys feel good. They, you know, I mean, we've been out here for a long time, and our guys have been working, 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 working. And uh, it's tough because then, you know, the, we played the three games and we didn't get any any of the, uh, those wins to start. So, you know, that's that's hard on, on guys. You know, you don't have family to go home to. You don't have – you just go back to your hotel room. And you work again the next day. So, uh, you know, to kind of finally get over the hump and get that first win is a good feeling for our guys. But we also talked about um, we got to, we, you know, this doesn't matter at all if we don't show up tomorrow with the same type of mentality and, you know, on the back to back, you know, where we put ourselves now. We got to, we got to make sure that uh, we, we, we get one tomorrow too. That's one thing that I really liked from Luke Wall. And you know, I'm not a, 
I, I don't praise him very often in the post game press conferences, but I, I like that he said, you know, it, it doesn't. He, he's, I mean, that's that felt like accountability to me. Like it, it doesn't really mean nothing unless we step out there, we do it again tomorrow. They very literally have to do the same exact thing tomorrow. No, they don't have to put up 140 points. No, they don't have to win by 15. But they got to go out there and they got to be able to execute. Now, Kings fans will ask the question: Why were they able to execute so well? Where has this team been uh, in the restart? Uh, where, where, oh, where was this team against Orlando? Where, oh, where was this team? I mean, and they played pretty well against Dallas. I don't want to take, you know, too much away, away, away from that. And the fact is, I, you know, I guess they played pretty well against San Antonio. I mean, you just wanted to win both of those games, obviously. Hot take there on, on my part. You wanted to win both of those games, but... We haven't seen them play, even in the stretches where they played well. And they played well for a, a good chunk of the San Antonio Spurs game. Even in the stretches where they played well against uh, against the Dallas Mavericks, and they played pretty good for about three quarters against the Mavericks. They never played like they did yesterday. And I think as Kings fans looked at that, and it was like, okay, well, what is it about? What is it about the way that there was ball movement? Uh, there was <laughs> player movement. Like, people weren't standing still. They weren't standing around watching. There was no dribble, 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 dribble. Now it's going to sound like I'm taking a shot. I'm not. Buddy only played six minutes in the first half, and I think that's important to note as well. I don't know why he only played six minutes in the first half, but he did. And I think, if I remember correctly, he played exactly – he only played 11 minutes total. He played zero minutes in the third quarter. Uh, memory serves me correctly. He played uh, – he started the fourth quarter – and then, you know, once he got subbed out, that, that, that was it. But he was one of five um, from the field in, in his 11 minutes. He was, he was a complete non-factor. And, and that's fine because the way that the, this, is, this is the role of the sixth man, or in his case, he, he, he wasn't the sixth man this, is, this time. This is the role of the, you know, the bench players. There was a pace dictated by Bogey. There was a pace dictated by De'Aaron Fox, and quite honestly, there was a pace dictated by by Harrison Barnes in that entire starting lineup. They got tremendous production from their entire starting lineup. You got 65 points from Bogdan Bogdanovich and De'Aaron Fox. That's the headline, no doubt about it. That is 100% the headline. But you also got 41 points from your other three starters. Yo, that's 100-plus points from your starters. You takes that. You got quality minutes from Alex Lynn. You got quality minutes from Corey Joseph. Kent Bazemore, Mr. Reliable so far here in the bubble. Daquan Jeffries got some run. He played eight minutes yesterday. Harry Giles didn't. And I'm, fa- I'm so fascinated by that. I, and I always wonder, and, and, I, and I try to point this out as regularly as possible when we look at minutes, particularly with a guy like Harry Giles, who's, who's just a guy that, you know, his his – rotations are going to be different. Like his, his playing time is going to be different because his play is often up and down. But what do we not see? Like what is happening in practice? You know, Luke Walton, you just, you just heard him a moment ago. He was talking about practice. Like what do, what are we not privy to? And that I, I don't know, but there's something 
There's something that we're not privy to. There's something that Luke Walton is seeing. There's something that that coaching staff is seeing that regularly keeps him out of playing, you know, big minutes. Obviously, he played against Orlando. Everybody had to play against Orlando because everybody was a disaster against Orlando. But the story of the day, really, I mean, Bogdan Bogdanovich set the tone early. I mean, he was just phenomenal. We mentioned, I think we mentioned, if we didn't, my apologies, career high, uh, 35 points. He mat- His career high before yesterday was 33. He hit that with, you know, some time to spare in the third quarter. And I don't think, I think he missed one shot in the first quarter, and it was like a half-court heave. He wasn't shying away from anything. Um, the starters played so well yesterday, and this is just a, I think I saw, I think it was Sammy. Sam Amick tweeted, you know, he he tweeted some stats. He was talking about the Kings. He was like, it's such a Jekyll and Hyde team. And it's, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's a Jekyll and Hyde team. And 140 points. You see the way that they played yesterday? This was the team we were waiting for on July 31st. This 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 is what we had spent, you know, all of July talking about. Is there going to be pace? Is there going to be ball movement? How many threes did they take yesterday? They took 33 threes yesterday. 16 of 33. You know, there was a point. It was wild. Like, if you weren't watching or you weren't able to follow along with a box score, there was a point in the fourth quarter, or excuse me, there was a point in the first quarter where that box score was one of the wildest things you'll ever see. It was like 87%. It was like 81% from the field. 80-something percent from the three-point line. It's like, dude, what? Oh, by the way, 24 of 33 from the free-throw line. Hmm. Not only were they 24 of 33 from the free-throw line, but they were plus 10 in the free-throw discrepancy. Yo, when, when did that happen? When did the Sacramento Kings start, start, start getting the better of, of their teams, their opponents at the foul line? Yo, we saw that yesterday. We saw, and, and it's not like Zion wasn't there. It's not like they got a whack effort from Zion and their studs. Man, Ingram was there. They put up 125 points, for goodness sakes. But the way that the Sacramento Kings were shooting in the first quarter and the way that really continued, you know, the, the, the things leveled out in the second quarter for sure. But the Kings never, they never withered up and died. Like, there were times where the game got close and there were times where it was like, ah. Oh. His booty cheeks pucker up a little bit, and you like you got to be kidding me. Forty nine points in the first quarter, eighty percent from the free th- uh, from the from the three point line, and we're going to wind up losing this game. And those butt cheeks get tightened up, and you get ready to fire off an angry tweet. And just when you get ready to do that, Bogey hits a three. De'Aaron gets to the basket. Harrison Barnes gets to the foul line. De'Aaron got to the foul line eight times yesterday. Alex Lynn got to the foul line six times. You talk about making the most of your minutes. Alex Land got to the foul line six times yesterday. They had eight free throws in the first quarter. Remember, they had 12 in the game on Tuesday. 12 total free throws. They had eight in the first quarter uh, on uh, yesterday. Then you go back to Luke Walton said, hey, all fun and games. Uh, we've got to do it again, but the star uh, was Bogdan Bogdanovich. Let's hear what Bogey, and then uh, let's hear what De'Aaron Fox had to say post game. Uh, we'll start with Sean Cunningham. I did the same thing, honestly. I did every day. This is one of the nights uh, I was hot, and the other night was not. So it might be because uh, we were on the national TV. It might be that, <laughs> you know. I think the pressure's still on. I mean, we're still a little bit behind. Um, 
obviously we know if we drop this game, um, you know, it puts the Pelicans ahead of us uh, and we just dropped, you know, very far behind. So we knew that this was a must win. Um, and I think we came in here, we handled business and it just keeps giving every, every, every win gives us, you know, a little bit more hope. So um, we definitely needed this game. We got it. And um, I mean, we have to let go of this and focus on the Nets. De'Aaron, you know, he, he, he pointed out some, some faults, some mistakes that he made uh, last game against Dallas, which <laughs> I, I think he was being a team leader in that sense. I think he was being, you know, he was standing up and saying, hey, I've got to make mistakes or I've made mistakes. I've got to do this thing better. Though I don't think when people were talking about, when people were asking him about iso ball and asking him about the game plan in the fourth quarter that anybody was actually asking about him. Uh, but that's the way De'Aaron is. De'Aaron is going to deflect uh, any criticism away from his teammates, and he's going to put it on his shoulders. That's the type of leader that he is. But De'Aaron has had a phenomenal stretch here in Orlando. Like he is. Sometimes I, I I watch him play, and I and I and I like wonder, do the Kings know what they have in him? And it's frustrating because sometimes I I'm not. I'm just not confident in Luke Walton. I'm happy that they won. I'm thrilled that they won. I've got a lot of questions. How comes to mind? Not how they won, but how they played like that after three games of, and maybe they're just slow starters. I mean, we 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 talked about this potentially being a concern. You go back to the way that the season started; they were zero of five. Season started; they were zero of five, and they started this you know restart zero of three. And our thought was, well, you can't afford to do that. You can't afford to start zero of three, so so you're not like that's the way I rationalized it in my head. Like you can't afford to do it, so you're just not going to. You guys, you guys just can't, you can't be that dense. You can't start zero of three. Come on, let's do that. As a matter of fact, you can't start. We we had laid out a scenario here on the podcast where you can't start zero and one. You've got to be one and zero. And of course, none of that went our way. Uh, but here they are, and and I like I wondered is Luke. You know, I was having a conversation. You know, with my with my buddy. After the game yesterday, and he was like, "Dude, could you imagine? Because like, we, we, you know, everybody's in agreement. I think that De'Aaron is going to be a superstar. Like I'm of the mindset. I, I think you know, superstar is such a you know, like a coveted word. Like there are very few superstars in the league. I think De'Aaron is going to be you know, like an upper tier star. Like I think he's a legitimate superstar. The problem is it's hard to break into that tier when you're on a losing team." It's and, and I guess it's kind of the conundrum, if you will, that Devin Booker isn't. Like people believe that Devin Booker is, a, is, is he's a superstar, and I always kind of looked at Booker like, is he really? And maybe that's just like a Phoenix bias coming in. Like if he's a superstar, why didn't he, wouldn't he his team be better? And it's like, hey, De'Aaron, like De'Aaron's a superstar, but his team's not better. And then my buddy asked me like, oh, could you imagine if De'Aaron was on like Miami, or or if or if or if like Nick Nurse was the coach of the the, the, the Sacramento Kings, like a, like, or Coach Bud, like a, a, a real schematic type coach who, you know, sees things. And those guys are veterans that, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not the biggest believer in Luke Walton, uh, but he's the coach. I'm going to ride with him. But those guys I just mentioned, they're all, they're all veterans. Nick Nurse might be a, you know, a first year head coach or a second year head coach, excuse me, with the Toronto Raptors, but he's been around a while. Eric Spolster, you know, has a resume that, that's probably going to get him in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, Bud is is just having a you know a tremendous run right now with the with the Milwaukee Bucks. He may be taking his first steps towards Springfield here with the season that they're having. 
but speaking of big win for Milwaukee over Miami, but like, can you imagine De'Aaron with one of those teams, with one of those coaches specifically? Rosters be damned, the coach. And you 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 look at that you look at that game yesterday, and you go, was it coaching that was different? Was it you know people buying in that was different? Like what was different about the game? We know what we saw. We saw the ball movement be different. We saw the player movement be different. We saw all of that stuff. But why? Why was it different? It's not like Luke. Did Luke Walton really go home and watch the film or really go back to his hotel room and hashtag watch the tape and go, you know what would work better? If our players moved on offense. You know what would be better for us? If we move the ball around more and play less ISO, I refuse, absolutely 100% refuse to believe as much as watching the film is a running gag here on the podcast and really a running gag amongst King's Twitter, I refuse to believe he actually went home and watched film and came to that conclusion. I just do not believe that. But, it, you know, those are questions that we can't answer. I don't even know that those are questions Luke can answer. And the fact is, Luke Walton was right. Two o'clock, two o'clock today, they've got another game. And it's another game that they have to win. And honestly, it probably doesn't matter. I mean, you you want them to win. You want to have, I hate saying stupid stuff like momentum going into the offseason because, ugh, whatever. But the fact is, you know, I think I mentioned this a few minutes ago, Phoenix won. Told you, I told you Phoenix won, you know, a, a, a nice little ball game with with the Indiana Pacers, but, you know, they got the job done. DeAndre Ayton, 11 of 18 from the field. He had 23 and 10. Uh, Devin Booker, he had 20 points and 10 assists. Like, they got all-around contributions uh, from that. Like, Monty Williams has those boys playing. They're 30 and 39 on the season. They beat a very good uh, Pacers team that saw Malcolm Brogdon go for 25, 6, and 6. And to make matters worse, in the second-to-last game of the night, the Trailblazers beat the Nuggets. So it's like the Kings won, but they didn't really get anything out of it. Dame Lillard was an assassin last night, man. Dame, Dame had one of those games that was special. Dame had one of those games where you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Dame had one of those games where you're like, man, I hope Portland gets the eight seed. <laughs> Like I want to see Dame Lillard versus the versus the Los Angeles Lakers, who are chilling, by the way. And we told you to expect this. There's, the, the, you should not be surprised by this. They sat LeBron James in their uh, loss against the Rockets last night in the game against the Rockets. They sat LeBron, so you know I, I would expect a lot of that. I don't know what that last game that the Sacramento Kings are going to play uh, on August was it twelfth or thirteenth? I don't know what that's going to look like, but I imagine we see a lot of LeBron sits. Anthony Davis sits. Perhaps we see a game where LeBron and Anthony Davis sits. Uh, and, and then you know, a first-round matchup against Portland. I'll take it. Dame, 13 of 21 yesterday. 11 of 18 from three. I'm going to say that again. 11 of 18 from the three. 8 of 10 from the foul line. 45 points. 12 assists for Dame Dollar. Gary Trent Jr., Checked in with the next highest point total at 27. He was 10 of 15 from the field. He was 7 of 10 from three. The Portland Trailblazers as a team shot 59% from behind the arc, 23 of 39. My bad. I just, I have to, I have to say it until the season's over. My bad. 
dropped the ball on that one. Speaking of dropping the ball on something, the Denver Nuggets, Michael Porter Jr. Boy, it's going to hurt people to watch him play uh, over the course of the rest of this season. You kidding me? Man, he's a bad boy. 27 points yesterday coming off the hip. Dude, has any is he is there an all bubble team? Is that a thing? That's got to be a thing. If it's not a thing, can we make it a thing? I believe it is. It has to be. It has to be a thing. The all bubble team. Michael Porter Jr. is all bubble. Michael Porter Jr. I'd argue De'Aaron Fox might be all bubble. I think oh, it's tough when you lose. Ah, listen, we need to make an all bubble team. 916-888-5898. Not today because we're not those type of people. We're going to wait till the end of the seeding games. Then we'll create an all-bubble team. And we'll give out our all-bubble awards when the final game of, of the seeding process is all done. Oh, yesterday was a fun day of basketball, man. It would have been nicer. It would have been more fun if the Pacers had beat the, the Suns and if the Nuggets had beat the Trailblazers. But you got to give credit where credit is due. Phoenix is, dude, come on, man. I love Monty Williams, and I'm going to sing his praises. And, again, it's not a knock on Luke Walton. It's praise for Monty Williams. He's a hell of a coach. I would have loved to have had him here in Sacramento. The Kings had different ideas. They went in a different direction. Fine. But I think, you know, I think Monty Williams gets his guys up. I think he gets his guys up to play. And, you know, they've had their, they had their lax moments like every other young team did. Uh, they played a big chunk of their season without DeAndre Ayton, which is just a completely forgettable moment of the season given how wild – 2020 has been a former number one overall pick was suspended for PED use. That is a baseball sentence. That is not a sentence you regularly utter when it comes to the National Basketball Association. Uh, but yeah, DeAndre Ayton missed what was it, 50 games because of because of a PED violation. Man, just 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 something else. So we'll see what happens today. Um, I don't know if I mentioned, I know I mentioned Milwaukee score, but uh, the Bucks locked up the number one seed. Um, the Jazz are sitting everyone on the planet versus the Utah Jazz. They are not playing Mike Conley. They are not playing Donovan Mitchell. And they are not playing Rudy Gobert. They are the artists formerly known as the Utah Jazz uh, taking on the Spurs as tomorrow, part of tomorrow's NBA action. I, I knew I missed something. Ben Simmons. This is a this is some rough news for the Philadelphia 76ers. Ben Simmons uh, has been sidelined with a knee injury, and it's one of those deals where they're not quite sure how they're going to treat it. It's a subluxation, right? That's how you say it. Of his left patella. Is there a doctor in the house? Um, he's got a left knee injury, for goodness sakes. The problem is, or, okay, there's, a, there's numerous problems. He out, he's out indefinitely. The concerning thing is they're not sure how they're going to treat it yet. So but what it means, by the way, is the kneecap popped out of place. Um, and I feel like that happens to me pr pretty regularly. I've got the Ben Simmons knees. Um, but they don't know how they're going to treat it yet. And I don't know, like, I assume, again, an, an, an assumption on my part, knowing how fragile, you know, those ligaments around the knee are, I'm sure they're 
dealing with swelling at this exact moment, but I'm sure a greater concern is the kneecap popping and creating a bigger injury, uh, a more significant injury, a more catastrophic injury that would keep him out for um, a significant period of time. So what what the Philadelphia 76ers and their staff are going to do, uh, Ben Simmons, they're just going to kind of sit on it for the next 24 hours, assume, anytime you read a sentence like that, it's to let the swelling go down. Once the swelling goes down, uh, they'll start to take the next steps and how they're going to evaluate it. But this is such a difficult process because of the circumstances, because of the bubble circumstances, because of the Orlando circumstances. It's not like he can just, you know, hop up and go to his doctor in New York. The amount of risks that come with leaving the bubble, then trying to reenter the bubble, like you're, you know, you're automatically removing yourself for a certain period of time. And, and maybe with it, maybe with this type of injury, maybe that's not a concern or maybe that's not a big deal if he's going to miss a certain amount of time. But the problem is these games are fast and furious. The regular season or seating or however we're determining this portion of our play in Orlando, it's over next week. Just as quickly as it started, it's going to come to an end, and it's going to be time for the playoffs. And the Sixers aren't in the position that the Milwaukee Bucks are in. They're not in the position to where it's just like, hey, whatever. Like, you know, we've, we've, we've got a practice series here. We've got a, we've got a preseason, postseason series here that we can play. Like right now, I'm guessing I'll, – I'll, I'll pull up the standings right now so I don't have to guess. But if memory serves me correctly from the last time we looked, I'm going to go 76ers in Boston in the first round. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to hit you with a hot take here. Maybe I'll have to, you know, eat these words later if I, as I've had to so many times. I'm going to assume that Philadelphia is going to want Ben Simmons for that series. And it is Boston. Boston sitting at the three spot right now uh, with Miami at the two spot. Uh, so the first round matchups right now in the Eastern Conference look like Milwaukee and Orlando, uh, Toronto and Brooklyn, Boston and Philadelphia, as we just noted, and Miami and Indiana. There could be some more movement between Brooklyn and Orlando as both teams have 32 wins right now. Those two teams are <laughs> those two teams are fighting to not play Milwaukee. And the winner, who doesn't have to play Milwaukee, has to play the reigning defending uh, NBA Finals champions. As it stands right now, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies still hold the eighth spot. It is just amazing to me that that could come to an end tomorrow. The Portland Trailblazers could take over possession of the eighth spot tomorrow. The Oklahoma City Thunder and the Memphis Grizzlies play tomorrow at 1 o'clock. The rundown of games tomorrow is the team formerly known as the Utah Jazz and the San Antonio Spurs. That's the 10 a.m. start. Then you've got Oklahoma City and Memphis. So obviously, we're going to have eyes on that one. And then we'll have SAC and Brooklyn. Of course, we'll all be watching that one. Then Orlando and Philadelphia. Washington and New Orleans. And if memory, let me, I, I have to stop saying if memory serves me correctly. Washington is also winless. Uh, in the bubble. And then the nightcap, the TNT game, a fantastic uh, Toronto versus Boston matchup. So uh, that's what we're looking at there. You're going to chill for the Washington Wizards. You're going to cheer, I guess, for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I mean, maybe if Memphis just – maybe the Kings can sneak in there if Memphis loses all four. If Memphis loses all four – I don't know. This is so hard to predict. I, I think Portland – 
Dude, Portland's going to take over the number eight seed tomorrow, and that's just wild to me that Memphis just I, – I, I backed Memphis too. I was like, yeah, this is a bit unfair to them. Like, dude, it, the NBA looks like smooth geniuses. You know, they look like they've the, the the man with the master plan. If 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 a ninth seed, if if these eight games, if these eight seeding games result in a change in the eight seed, it just absolutely looks brilliant because Memphis has no gripe. If Memphis out and just outright loses the eight seed, there is literally they have no gripe. Now that like if like let's see here, they've already played four games. Bringing the left, when to so there's no way that Portland can win the eight seed and not have a play-in game. So if Portland takes over, there's almost certainly going to be a play-in series. As a matter of fact, we could tell you right now, just because of the number of games left, there's definitely going to be an eight versus nine. It's just a question of it's just a question of who's going to be eight and who's going to be nine, because there's just no telling right now. At the rate we're going. And this is a hundred percent legit. At the rate we're going, is going to be Portland versus Phoenix. Just allow Memphis to keep losing. You assume San Antonio splits. Let's go on the good side. Say the say the Kings split, Pelican split. I mean, because that's the way that they've been playing. They've been playing split ball. That's what San Antonio has been. That's what Portland uh, until today's win has been. Um, and you know, Sac. Unfortunately, they're one and three. So another case of there you have it, as good old JR would say. By the way, wrestling fans, did you see Eric Bischoff was on? Did you see the, the, the segment with Eric Bischoff and Chris Jericho and Orange Cassidy on AEW was phenomenal. It, Orange Cassidy is such a unique wrestling character. Uh, he's going to rub people the wrong way. There are some people that are just absolutely not going to like him, and I very distinctively remember the first time I saw him thinking, You've got to be kidding me. What is this crap? And then the more I watched him, it was like, okay, like I kind of get it. And then he shows up in AEW and it's like, oh, okay. I get the gimmick now. Like it's cool. I thought the segment, I think Jericho's the best performer in the business right now. And I thought the bit with Orange Cassidy was great. And I don't know why Eric Bischoff, I guess it was just cool to have Eric Bischoff there. Eric Bischoff with AEW back on TNT. Why not? Like, he didn't play a big role in it. He was just there. He was a moderator in a debate, and, like, it worked. All right, cool. I also saw Shane McMahon tweet, oh, I can't wait for Raw Underground next week. Like, oh, we're just we're going to keep moving forward with this. All right. All right, let's see what it looks like. I like the idea of the, what was it, the, was it the Hurt Business with MVP and uh, was it Lashley and... Was it Shelton Benjamin that was up there with him? I can get down with that. Like I, I love how there were <laughs> I love how there were rumors that it was the reformation of the nation of domination. Like in wrestling, in WWE, anytime you get more than two black guys together, it's the reformation of the nation of domination. Like that's what we saw with the New Day. It was like this is the nation of domination part two. Because anytime you add you know, part two, or anytime you add the new in front of something is going to be a massive success. Like, think about the massive success that the new rockers were with Marty Jannetty and Leaf Cassidy. That was a big success. Think about what, what, a, what a success the, the new blackjacks were with, 
what was that? I think that was JBL and was it was that Barry Windham? I think. Oh, Jabba, that's a big success, massive success. Anytime you slap the name new on front of it, it's gonna work. Think about New Coke. New Coke was a massive success. Just put new on it, and it and it's gonna work. Oh man, the new nation of domination. You can't get too many black guys all together in one place, or they're gonna be the nation of domination. But going back and watching some of that stuff, like 1997, do like they wouldn't survive. 1997 WWE, particularly 1997 Shawn Michaels and Triple H, like wouldn't survive. You could probably, you could probably collect enough Triple H clips to get him so-called canceled. Like Triple H did enough offensive stuff in 1997. That like as the I don't know what his actual job title is with WWE, but like you so show that to like shareholders, like yo, look at this dude. Like him and Shawn Michaels are eating bananas during a Nation of Domination match. Like we're not supposed to get the connotation that I remember they like they insinuated that the Hart Foundation used the N word once. Like what? I think I watched that episode as I was doing the um. Which one was it? The Kane Undertaker. The That's Gotta Be Kane episode of Relive. And I just was sitting there dumbfounded. Like, you've got to be, you've got to freaking be kidding me. Dude, 1997 WWE was something. The year was, and that's 16, 17-year-old me. And like, and it was like, all right, like, I'm with this. Like, okay, like, I'm, I'm all about it. I could have done without the, you know, the, the, racial overtones and everything that involved the nation of domination. I could, I could have, you know, overdone, I could have done without that. But I remember there's a, there's a clip. I almost put it in the relive episode. It was when the undertaker was champion. The undertaker had a bunch of like useless matches when he was the champion. And he wrestled Farouk at one of the pay-per-views between WrestleMania and SummerSlam. And he said, he said the Undertaker, he's, you know how the Undertaker talks and the Undertaker is, he's not black, he's not white, he's the dead man. And it's like, oh my God, that, that's a promo that the Undertaker just said. He said he's not a white, he's not black, he's the dead man. I think Farouk called him the Great White Hope or something, which is like, dude, <laughs> the Undertaker is the Great White Hope? I'm sorry, I don't want to spend, I'm sorry, I don't know how I... You realize it's the freaking middle of the night when I'm recording this, right? So give you boy break. I, there's a very real possibility that I stop recording this and go watch Raw <laughs> and go watch like a 1997 Raw. It's either that or the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, one or the other, because the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is heavy in my rotation. And the truth is your boy just wants to go to sleep, but I don't know why the sleep gods are fighting me. I don't, they're just, they're, they're not interested in me sleeping anymore, um, which is... An interesting turn of events here in 2020. 66 players have opted out as I try to get back on course with the podcast that you choose to listen to and not nonsense like I was just spewing off. Uh, 66 players have opted out of the NFL season because of COVID-19 concerns. Uh, the deadline, by the way, was yesterday. Um, so there will be, so the, the, the way that I understand it, if anyone were to opt out now, they certainly can, they just wouldn't get any, they just wouldn't get paid for it. Um, 
the Patriots were hit the hardest by far. Um, we've talked about Patrick Chung, Marcus Cannon, Brandon Bolden, uh, Dante Hightower. Each of those members of the New England Patriots have three Super Bowl rings. The Cleveland Browns, they were next. They had five players opting out, four of which were players uh, either who were entering their first season with the Browns or spent last year on the Browns practice squad. Uh, Every team except the Chargers, the Falcons, and the Steelers had at least one player uh, opt out. Nine players opted out who had won at least one Super Bowl. Um, By position, uh, 11 wide receivers opted out, 11 offensive tackles opted out, and 10 defensive tackles opted out. By my count, uh, what I have in front of me, not a single quarterback uh, opted out of the upcoming season. Uh, So there are a couple of notes for you as I, it's weird. Like football is here. Like it's at, it's actually happening. Um, it's just, it's like weight room stuff. So we're not, you know, it's, it's, it's different. It's happening. Uh, but it's different by the way. You know what happened uh, on this day in 2007? August 6th, August 7th, excuse me, August 7th, 2007. Deals, and Bonds hits one high, hits it deep, it is out of here! 7.56! Bonds stands alone! He is on top of the all-time home run list! What a special moment for Barry Bonds. And what a special moment for these fans here in San Francisco. I know who and what Barry Bonds is. But, man, I loved watching that home run chase. I, I love Barry Bonds. Like it did, I've said it before. I'll say it again. You know what I'm about to say. He's the greatest baseball player I ever saw. Yeah, I don't know who's second. I'm I'm sure there are other great players out there before my time. The one that I always hear is the greatest player uh, that ever lived is Willie Mays. Um, but I I never saw Willie Mays play. I saw Barry Bonds play though, and I saw Barry Bonds play a lot. And believe it or not, I I know given how well most of you know me, this is going to be hard for you to believe. I was a big baseball fan when I was younger. Like I collected baseball cards. I played baseball. I was a fat first baseman. Um, they, I think they put me on first base because I couldn't move very well, but I could stretch, and I, like, I would get my foot on the bag, and I would get the out. But my chubby ass was, that, that's about the, I had a pocket in which I could operate in. But outside of that, like, you weren't going to get much from me. I couldn't hit where to damn. I was a terrible baseball player is actually what I'm trying to say. But I liked baseball. I loved baseball. And those Pittsburgh Pirates teams with Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonilla, I was all about it. I loved Barry Bonds in a Pittsburgh Pirates uniform and was elated when he started uh, playing for the San Francisco Giants. Thrilled. And it was about that time where all I was really paying attention to in baseball was the San Francisco Giants 
and the Oakland A's. And I just, I, that love that I have for it, particularly when I stopped collecting baseball cards. Once Bo Jackson stopped playing and I stopped collecting baseball cards, I, I, that love for baseball kind of started to go away. The attention that I used to pay uh, to baseball started to go away. Of course, I wasn't playing anymore because I, as I started to enter high school, no, no team on the planet would want me on, on their roster. So I, I, I used to love it. And Barry Bonds, I, I mean, after Bo Jackson, you know, Barry Bonds was probably my favorite. Oh, Ken Griffey Jr. is up there too. Like after Bo Jackson, who was a clear-cut number one, like Barry and, and Ken Griffey Jr. are right there near the top. It might be Ken Griffey Jr. by a little bit and then Barry Bonds. But if, but if, but if Jr. has a margin on him in my you know, all-time fandom roster, it's just, it's, it's, it's just the slimmest of slim margins. But I, I I love Barry Bonds, man. On this day in 2007, the NFL is digging what the NBA is doing, and there's a chance we could see virtual fans. I it I I have not watched one single game yet this year in term like not counting the scrimmage games. I have not watched one single uh, seating game this year. And going, man, this sounds weird, or this looks weird. I've always like it feels like there's. They've done a great job at creating an atmosphere. And I think the NBA will be capable of, excuse me, I think the NFL uh, will be capable of doing that as well. I mean, we're talking about a television presentation. That's all we're ultimately talking about. They want to create a television presentation. I think it would be absolutely insane, regardless of what state you live in, to let in any percentage of fans. Skip that. Just do the virtual fans gimmick. I know that doesn't bring you money. I know that the concern is revenue. Uh, there are teams that are hoping for 33 to 40% capacity. Can you imagine that? Like, think about that. The season gets underway in one month. Can you imagine an NFL stadium filled to 40% capacity right now? Even if, even if it was mandatory that you wear masks. Even if you were thrown out of the stadium for life if you didn't wear masks it still doesn't feel like the safest, soundest option. 40% capacity of a 50, 40, 50, 50, 60,000 seat stadium. Man, I, I don't know, man. But I get it. The NFL doesn't, doesn't make enough money. They could, you know, if the, the NFL doesn't, you know, get some fans into the stadium, they could... They could cease to exist. I actually, and obviously I'm being tremendously sarcastic. I have the notes here. Um, four franchises, Philly, we, we, we just mentioned Vegas, Philly, uh, the Jets and the Giants. They've all said there's no fans. They're, they're completely eliminated in 2020. And I think those numbers, or excuse me, I think those four franchises alone would account for an estimated loss of $1.3 billion. Just those four franchises, according to this breakdown I have in front of me, the Las Vegas market was going to be burning up for, oh my God, the market was going to be burning up for Las Vegas Raider tickets. Uh, they expected their ticket revenue to be somewhere in the vicinity of $571 million. Now, for you know, context purposes of how big that number is for a single football team, the collective worth is projected to be for the Eagles, the Giants, and the Jets, 
$759 million. So the Raiders in there, for, and understandably, the first year in Las Vegas uh, accounts for a big chunk of that potential $1.3 billion loss, and that is just those four teams. The company that did this research believes league-wide the potential value of lost ticket revenue in 2020, if there are no fans, absolutely zero, in attendance at every single game, $7 billion. $7 billion in lost revenue. I understand. I just said $7 billion. It's still not going to kill the NFL. Not only is it not going to kill the NFL, it's only marginally going to hurt them. It's like a scrape. It's like a little scratch. It's not, it's, it's a scratch. That's, a, that's all it is. Like you, like you bumped your arm on something. Like you're not hemorrhaging. You weren't stabbed. You weren't shanked. You weren't shot. Nothing like that. They're going to be just fine. I think they got to put the safety of you, me, all the, everybody who would go spend. And the thing is, too, with limited amount, and this is, I'm positive what the NFL is banking on, with limited amount of tickets available, the price will skyrocket on all of them. Like, because the, the way that I understand what they'll do is they'll, they're basically eliminating season tickets. They'll refund every season ticket holder. And then you enter a lottery to win the tickets that way, or not, not win the tickets, but you enter the lottery with an opportunity to, to win the opportunity to purchase the tickets. And with that game plan in, in place, the tickets will, the, the ticket prices will skyrocket. We just saw that with, I think, it, was it the Patriots? The Patriots said they were going to let a certain number in and we saw their ticket prices like double. Because, you know, value, what's the, what's the line? Supply and demand. That's the line I was looking for. Supply and demand. And my sleep is on short supply and my demand for it is extremely high. And I appreciate every single one of you uh, for tuning in here today. I appreciate you for tuning in. Uh, as you have all week, I appreciate your support of the Be Heard podcast platform. Uh, if you want some more Kings Talk, head over and check out J Street Vibes. Uh, they're available here on the Be Heard platform, and they'll be available uh, after postgame as well. If you're just dying, if you can't wait until Monday to hear me talk about the Kings again, don't worry, I'll have you covered today. Uh, that was sarcasm, by the way. I never think that highly of what I do, but to think that you can't wait to hear me talk on Monday. Uh, but a lot of people love to hear Kings talk following the Kings game. So today, uh, following the Kings and the Brooklyn Nets, I'll be over on the Sacramento Kings podcast over on our HoopBall podcast platforms. Make sure you check that out. Become a subscriber if you're a Kings fan. And again, uh, check out the Deuce and Mo podcast. Check out Don is Dope and check out J Street Vibes. Um, check out uh, thedopeones.com as well. There's going to be some new t-shirts going up there. We had the name change from the Damian Barlin collection to the Be Heard collection. Why? Well, there's shirts. There's the more than a podcast shirt. Uh, that you can wear and get attention all over the place. There's also the Be Heard uh, t-shirt. There will soon to be Deuce and Mo t-shirts, as well as J Street Vibe t-shirts. All of those are coming your way over on thedopeones.com. So thank you for your endless support. Get more sleep than I do. Put your masks on, fam. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you here on Monday on the podcast with Damian Barlow.